Girl Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to season two of Girl Presses Play. As always, I hope you all are doing very well and staying healthy and watching lots and lots of movies, this time either at home or at your local movie theater, which you should definitely go out and support if it is safe for you and your loved ones. Uh, We do have a few updates and a few housekeeping items to talk about before fully getting into the episode. First of all, some really exciting news. Girl Press's Play is now a Believe podcast. We are an official member of the Believe Podcast Network, which is super, super exciting. This deal happened in between episode six and today, so I'm really, really excited. And the podcast itself won't change, but this does mean that we'll have the amazing support of the producers at Believe for getting the podcast out there to you all in the best way possible. And we'll also be doing some very cool collaborations with some other podcasts on the network. So stay tuned for more details on that. We will also be getting back to proper Patreon content, which I have admittedly let fall very much to the wayside in between producing the film I was working on and getting on board with Believe and moving in New York City, which is a whole other beast of its own, as some of you may know. So we'll be getting back to those. They are going to be a little bit different this time around. The episodes on Patreon are going to be a little more freeform, less related to the season, and more about various things that I find interesting at the moment. So film news, maybe a review or two, award season thoughts or predictions. We may be even throwing some live events in there, like a, you know, social media or live stream watch along, things like that. So we'll be dropping episodes at the end of each month. And if you want to press play a little more often on this show, wink, wink, (laughs) sign up and become a Patreon member today. I'll put the link in the description below. So here in the U.S., it's the summer season, and that means it's popcorn season. So that means all the movies have explosions, adventure, beautiful people, Vin Diesel talking about family. That was unfortunately my best Vin Diesel impersonation. (laughs) One other thing that tends to be pretty common in these films and Vin Diesel films is fast cars. And I would say that The most famous Fast Cars blockbuster after the Fast and the Furious franchise is 2003's The Italian Job with Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron, which is basically what would happen if the Fast movies and that Robert De Niro movie Heat had a baby. But not too many people know that a few years later, there was a Bollywood remake titled Players starring Abhishek Bachchan and Sonam Kapoor. While these films are essentially the same film, they have quite a few differences. On the financial side, the American version did really well at the box office and made over $150 million in theaters, not adjusted for inflation. And the Bollywood version did so-so. It did what I would like to say, meh. It didn't fully tank, but it only just made its $9.8 million US dollars budget back. Again, not adjusted for inflation. One of them had musical numbers. The other doesn't. I think you can guess which one. And one of them is more enjoyable and a better summer blockbuster. Probably not the one you'd expect. And 
it's interesting because today we live in a world of everything this film did wrong videos and hordes of internet cinephiles all over the web nitpicking every single detail and needing almost absolute realism. But when watching a film, especially something like a heist film, which is made for pure enjoyment, what's more important, the stringent accuracy or the unabashed audacity? We're going to be answering that question and answering a few more today when we take a look at 2003's The Italian Job and 2012's Players. Found him, Stella. He's in Los Angeles. Stealing that gold is not going to bring my father back. It's not about the gold, Stella. John was like a father to me, too. And I just can't move on until I've set things right. So, players, let's go for gold. I'm going to state what I think is the obvious here. The film was made and released just two years after the gigantic box office hit that was the remake of Ocean's Eleven. So I do want to preface that I think some of the faults of the film stem from what is most likely a very rushed production to try and jump on the audience's reinvigorated interest in heist movies. So with that, I will try to give the film a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. The general plot for the film, as well as its remake, is a group of con artists get betrayed on an international heist, losing one of their beloved members. Now, a year later, the team comes back together again to get the gold as well as revenge on their former team member that betrayed them. What's interesting about this film is how the filmmaking team, director F. Gary Gray and the screenwriters Donna and Wayne Powers, didn't watch the original film before making the movie... I think in some ways that's smart because you're not trying to make just a carbon copy of the original, but they may have missed what the original did right, which I think is important for remakes, at least to understand that if to not put that in the film. I think some of the strengths of the film are the pacing and the acting, which is generally very good. I don't know. There's nothing really overtly bad or offensive about this movie, but there's nothing really all that interesting or noteworthy. I think one of the biggest issues about this film for me is that it's almost too grounded. I'm sure you never thought you'd hear someone say that about a film, but really it was too close to real life to feel like a fun heist film. According to an article I found from the inter- and t- according to an article from the International Cinematographer Guild's website, F. Gary Gray, cinematographer William Pfister, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing that, and production designer Charlie Wood created a color palette of dark textures and undertones and strong contrast to make the film feel as realistic as possible. Although, there is one moment that is completely unrealistic in this whole film. I don't know why I feel such a powerful need to tell you all this, but I just feel like I do. There is a scene, and it's not a huge spoiler, where everyone is staying in this hotel for a heist, and somehow... Mark Wahlberg is able to just walk into Charlize Theron's hotel room, which made absolutely no sense if you know how hotel tours work. And it's not some like rundown, you know, you need an old fashioned physical key to get it. It was a, you know, fancy schmancy key card place. He was able to just walk right in. It made absolutely no sense and was super unrealistic. Moving on. I digress. Let's rein it back in, shall we? 
They also used the gritty films of the 70s, such as The French Connection, to inspire the look and feel of the film. A part of me also thinks that they may want to have differentiated themselves from the high-key Las Vegas razzle-dazzle of Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven, but I couldn't find anything that confirmed that as fact, so we're just going to leave that as a little educated hunch. With a movie of this size, the most important thing as a director is to make sure that you're clear about your vision. So what I did is I created this creative mission statement, almost like Jerry Maguire. It was something that would focus my entire crew and so that there were no questions about what I felt about the script and what I wanted to deliver. I think F. Gary Gray is a great director in general. I've seen other films of his that I've really liked. But I don't think that the grounded and muted tones are well suited for this kind of film, where you just kind of want to disappear and feel like anything is possible. If it feels too in reality, what's to stop the audience from feeling like they could pull this off? Am I absolutely partial to films with extreme color palettes like Moulin Rouge, The Birdcage, and Midsommar? Absolutely. But I don't expect every film to look like them. I just want the visuals to add to the audience experience of watching the film. But I feel like these creative choices took away from the experience itself. Which brings us to the 2012 remake, Players, which officially credits the 2003 version as the film that it's based on. The film essentially has the exact same plot, with a few add-ons. Generally speaking, for those of you who aren't familiar with Indian cinema, it's much more commonplace in Indian cinema and Bollywood films to run around two and a half hours on average, which I think this film utilizes very well. The first half is all about the build-up to the betrayal, which actually hits harder because you spend time getting to know the characters and rooting for them. So when the backstabber is revealed at kind of the halfway point, it hits harder and is honestly a lot more shocking. I'm usually pretty good at guessing what's going to happen next in a film, but I think it's safe to say that you'll be pretty surprised at the at the midpoint twist. What this movie also does very smartly is it makes a fairly big change from the original. They're not stealing the gold just for the sake of the steal or the heist or just to get rich. They're stealing gold in order to open India's largest orphanage. If an audience member can't root for the protagonist with that objective, <laughs> I don't know what makes sense anymore, but it really helps you, you know, with a motive like that, it really helps you get behind the protagonists of the film a lot more than I think the original does. I also think this film does a lot more with the characters' skill sets in players, Every member of the heist has a very specific role to play that brings a really visually interesting element to the heist. There's a retired actor, a magician, a tech savant, and a master manipulator, which are all very clearly demonstrated in the film in a very fun and interesting way. And those skills are also all put in service towards the main characters reaching their goal again in a fun and interesting way. There was definitely a bunch of points in this movie where I can be kind of vocal when I'm watching a movie at home, so my downstairs neighbors probably heard a lot of, oh, ooh, ah, like I was watching the eighth wonder of the world or something. <laughs> 
And as silly of an anecdote as that is, I do think it goes to show how much the Brumwalla brothers who directed this film really tried to create not just a story, but an experience for the audience as well. Many people say Bollywood lacks imagination by making remakes of Hollywood films. What's your view on this? No, I disagree. You have to understand, making a remake of another film is, is a creative choice. It's not out of compulsion that we've got no other scripts. There, you know, we make a thousand films a year, out of which two or three are remakes. Um, I think it's a creative choice on behalf of the directors that we want to make this film in Hindi now. It's been made in English, and they want to make it in the Indian context. I think because of the things that I just mentioned about this film, this version of the movie is just much more fun. It is not faultless by any means. The musical numbers feel a lot more like pop music videos rather than Bollywood numbers and not in a great way. And there's definitely some overuse of camera techniques like Dutch angles and quick zooms that kind of try to replace tension and action. But there definitely is a sense that the filmmakers are really leaning into the tropes and conventions of the heist film with a lot of ardor and glee and just making a film that's supposed to be enjoyed. And isn't that what big blockbuster films are made for? Not to say to make them badly and just throw a bunch of explosions in them, but, you know, I think there's something to be said about films that distract us for a bit and give us the feeling of being in this heightened reality that we love to escape to every now and then. I think when looking at these two films, we can start to see the changing habits of most movie-going audiences, as well as kind of the changing expectations for films as well. It wasn't long after The Italian Job that the grounded, gritty, and very darkly-hued Christopher Nolan film, The Dark Knight, made over a billion, yes, you heard me right, billion dollars and the bond films cast ruggedly handsome daniel craig and boy did his era of bond films get moody and dark and realistic and in india changing cultural norms and a wave of protests regarding anti-muslim policies and women's rights gave way for more grounded dramas like pink and zindaji and series lust stories on netflix if you couple that with the increasing ability of people being able to gain access to their favorite celebrities via social media, as well as now carry their favorite films literally on their phones wherever they go, it seems that people have moved from wanting the breathtaking films of yesteryear to the believable films. I don't think that's a bad change. I may be a curmudgeon about, you know, the great big blockbusters of our times, but... I don't think moving towards realism is a bad thing. I think it's wonderful that quiet and moving films like Nomadland and Moonlight can now win Best Picture Oscars, as opposed to 15 years ago, it was all the big, you know, Gladiator and Titanic and, you know, big Bonanza movies. And along with that, smaller dramatic Indian films like Zoya Akhtar's Gully Boy can have both critical and box office success. But I do hope that there's still a room for the big, beautiful, larger-than-life films that, you know, give us hope and make us smile. And I think the audience still wants them, too. The proof of that, for me, comes from the 2019 film season, where two of the highest-grossing films in the world were Bong Joon-ho's class-war thriller Parasite and Quentin Tarantino's dreamy escapist Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. While this world may send the message to us that it has to be this or it has to be that, there can't be room for everything in between, I think we can just prove that wrong just by the movies we watch that 
it doesn't have to be that way, that there's room for everything and everyone. This conversation can get really existential and sociopolitical, but I think I'm going to wrap it up by just saying, watch all the things, watch all the movies, watch the small indie dramas, watch the gritty action stuff, watch the funny rom-coms and the big budget action films. You'll be a better person for it, and the world will be better for it. I promise you. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, As always, to sound like a broken record, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the films that we talked about today. Let us know what you think on our social media pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We always, and I really mean it, we always want to hear from you folks. That's all for this week. Stay tuned for our next episode, which is either right on time or way too soon, depending on the time of year. Wink, wink. (laughs) Thanks again. Stay safe. And as always, keep watching movies. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Marianne O'Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play.